So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Hello there. So to wrap up our special series in honor of Autism Awareness Month, we will be putting one of Dr. Fran's favorite TV shows on the couch today. I'm a weirdo. That's what everyone says. Sometimes I don't know what people mean when they say things. Sam, people on the spectrum date, you know. Girls don't really notice me at all, and I'm not great at picking up signals. She's smiling right at you. You need to turn that down like 70%. There are strategies I could teach him. I'm not a little kid anymore. I can do things. Strategies are when you get your heart broken. Sometimes I wish I was normal. Hey, dude, nobody's normal. Your son has the same desire to be loved that we all do. Paige? Why shouldn't he pursue it? Fragile. Everything is Sam this and autism that. Maybe it's time for you to have your own life. Whoever first said practice makes perfect was an idiot. Humans can't be perfect because we're not machines. The best thing that you can say about practice is that it makes better. At some point, I really, really hope that I get to see boobs. If you all have been following the podcast at all, you know that I am very into atypical, (laughs) and so I'm really excited that we have the opportunity to cover it today. Yes, and this session is actually live in the first week of May, so we're really kind of wrapping up. We're a week late, but we really wanted to take advantage of the full month and do two sessions in honor of autism awareness and autism acceptance, so we're really excited to be talking about atypical today. So Netflix's Atypical Season 1 is what we'll be focusing on today. I would love to do all three seasons that have come out so far, but we'll focus mostly on Season 1. It follows 18-year-old Sam, who is a teenager on the autism spectrum, as he navigates high school, friendships, dating, therapy, and his family. The show also features his parents and younger sister Casey as they support Sam and navigate their lives as well. And we discussed this briefly at the beginning of our last session covering Rain Man, but in case you haven't been able to listen to that one just yet, we definitely hope you do circle back and listen as well. We wanted to just make a quick disclaimer about our use of language in today's session. So we understand that there are differing opinions and preferences regarding referring to someone as autistic or a person with autism or on the autism spectrum. And as you know, we often prefer and try to make an effort to use person-centered language. 
And it's also our understanding that some adults in the autism community prefer the term autistic. So you'll likely hear us use multiple phrasing today. We might say people with autism, autistic, people on the autism spectrum um, to try to be comprehensive and inclusive. But as always, it's really important to ask for someone's preferences and what they're comfortable with and always use the language that they prefer to describe themselves. Thank you for the reminder, Dr. Sam. I think it's really important to circle back to that. And we are also really excited because not only will you be hearing from Dr. Sam and I today, but we will also be having a very special guest on the podcast to help us talk about atypical. So we're really excited to be having Dr. Lowe join us today. Hello, Dr. Lowe. Welcome so much. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much, Dr. Sam and Dr. Fran, for having me on. I'm so excited to be here, and I cannot wait to spend time talking to you all about atypical. Yes, we're very excited to have an expert in our midst. We kind of let the listeners know last session that this is not something that Dr. Fran and I are necessarily experts in. So we really are excited and eager to hear your perspective on things. And just to give a little bit of background, Dr. Lowe is a clinical psychologist working in an academic medical setting, and she specializes in working with individuals with autism spectrum disorder across the lifespan. She's passionate about clinical work and research, working with individuals with autism spectrum disorder and their families, and really puts an emphasis on parent and sibling functioning. So we're really excited to have you on today, Dr. Lowe, to talk about all of these different topics, especially within the context of atypical. But before we jump into that, to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better, love if you could share some of your favorite TV shows and movies. And you can't say a typical, that would be, that would be off the table just for today. Okay, fine. But it is. Um, so I um, also have a maybe like guilty pleasure of um, teen soaps from the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so some of my favorite shows that I have watched an embarrassing number of times, um, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, Gilmore <laughs> yeah. Girls, um, all of those are classics and favorites. More current TV shows um, would be Grey's Anatomy, This Is Us, um, also enjoy a lot of the shows that you all have covered on uh, Freudian scripts and some of those Netflix shows. Um, in terms of movies, I don't know that I have a favorite, but um, I hate scary movies, so I'm going to be <laughs> honest that I've skipped some of those episodes of your alls. But like Dr. I Fran. love, <laughs> yes, no, no scary movies like Dr. Fran won't watch them. Um, but I really love like comedies. Um, embarrassingly enough, also really love those cheesy Hallmark holiday movies. Oh, yes. um, they're just kind of feel good, you know, just kind of zone out and watch. Um, so those are some of my favorites, but also really love, um, you know, being able to talk about uh, the way psychology is portrayed in TVs and movies. So I'm so excited to be here today. You're definitely in the right spot. And you know, Dr. Lowe, in typical psychologist and kind of therapy like fashion, there's no judgment here. So thank you for sharing your favorite TV shows and movies with us. It seems like you definitely have a lot of in a lot in common with Dr. Fran and I. So we're excited to kind of dive into Atypical. And it seems like that might be a favorite of yours as well. And we'll kind of circle back to our overall impressions. And then you can share a little bit more about your feelings on this show. Yeah, so we'd love to just dive right in and start talking about atypical and particularly how Sam, the main character, is portrayed. So we did spend quite a bit of time, like Dr. Sam alluded to earlier, talking about 
the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder in our Rain Man episode last session. So we definitely encourage you if you want like a really deep dive into the diagnostic criteria to circle back and listen to that one before this one. Um, But before we jump into how that might look for Sam, we thought we could do just a super brief overview of what autism spectrum disorder is for those who haven't listened to that Rain Man episode or aren't as familiar with that diagnosis. And so maybe this would be a great place to have our expert, Dr. Lowe, jump in and just kind of give a brief overview of the autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. Sure, absolutely. So I know that you all did a great job of covering this in the previous Rain Man episode, so I'm going to give another shout out to that and have uh, direct the listeners to that. Um, but just, you know, really quickly, when we're talking about the DSM-5 diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, we're looking at two different areas. So we're looking at deficits in social communication and interaction. The name autism spectrum disorder, which was changed um, in the DSM-5, which I think you all also probably talked about last week, um, really is the spectrum portion of it is really important, I think, for looking at the diagnostic criteria because it is a spectrum of a spectrum in a way. Um, So when we're looking at the deficits in social communication and interaction, um, looking at it again from multiple perspectives, from it looking like somebody who really wants social communication and social interaction but has difficulty actually being able to do that, difficulty reading social cues, difficulty understanding how to have back and forth reciprocal conversations, difficulties understanding the inner workings of friendships and relationships um, to somebody who may really not be that interested at all in those things mm-hmm. or very interested in you know limited amounts of conversation or limited amounts of social interaction. So really, again, kind of a spectrum of a spectrum and really looking at how each individual person might experience those difficulties. And the second uh, diagnostic criteria area we look at is restricted repetitive interest behaviors and activities. I will definitely want to talk about Sam's restricted interest. I love yes. his restricted interest in the show. Um, where there, you know, again, it can be an, a, an, an interest that people may find atypical, um, or it may be just really that the level of interest, the level of detail, the level of um, amount of time that they might spend thinking about, talking about, and researching this interest may be uh, what is considered sort of the restricted area. Um, then there's also sort of uh, some stereotypic motor movements, stereotypic speech, um, things like that, insistence um, on sameness and routine. So really under that category, there's several areas that we look at. Well, thank you so much. I think that was such a nice recap to orient um, us and the listeners to what we'll discuss with Sam. And I think, Dr. Lowe, you mentioned that spectrum within a spectrum. I think it's interesting in that, you know, we saw one portrayal with the character uh, from Rain Man of Raymond, and then today we're having the character of Sam. And I think even within that, we're going to see along the spectrum where they may fall. And of course, um, this is just one portrayal, one representation. So there is always going to be a spectrum and differences in individuals. And we'll discuss some of the things that we might actually expect to see or maybe more accurate versus those that may not be as accurate with what we might expect or see with people that are on the autism spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it might be helpful just to start off with a little bit of how Sam describes himself. Um, We get from the very first scene of the very first episode, a little bit of insight into how he perceives himself and some of the difficulties and challenges that he might notice that he has. I'm a weirdo. That's what everyone says. Sometimes I don't know what people mean when they say things, and that can make me feel alone even when there are other people in the room. And all I can do is sit and twiddle, which is what I call my self-stimulatory behavior, when I flick a pencil 
against a rubber band at a certain frequency and think about all the things that I could never do, like research penguins in Antarctica or have a girlfriend. I don't know. I'd like to go to Antarctica. It's quiet there, except in the rookeries where the penguins breed. <laughs> Those aren't quiet, no sir. I'm finished with my answer. I really appreciate when we cover movies and TV shows where we're given the diagnosis up front. And so from the very beginning of this show, we learned that Sam is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Um, we also know that he's seeing a therapist from the very first scene, again, that we just heard. It goes on to you realize that he's actually talking to his therapist in that individual therapy. Um, so I think that provides a really unique opportunity for us to really dive into like how accurate is this diagnosis being portrayed and how accurate is that therapy portrayal um, as per, as demonstrated in this TV show. One of the things I thought that was really interesting, you mentioned Dr. Fran, is this gives us that unique perspective of knowing the diagnosis and hearing Sam talk to his therapist. One of the things I really liked that this show did was kind of the stylistic choice of having Sam narrate a lot of it through his sessions with the therapist. And so, you know, Dr. Fran and I often complain about like not knowing people's intentions or their thoughts. And so we do get a little bit of insight related to Sam and the way that he thinks about himself. Like in the clip we just heard, he talks about not really understanding why people say things about feeling lonely, um, about some of the behaviors that he engages in. So it's a really nice way for us to get a potentially better understanding of some of the things that Sam might be experiencing, which I thought was um, a nice way to do it. So we wanted to kind of start by jumping into what are the aspects of Sam's presentation in the TV show that are accurate versus what are some things that may not be so accurate within the context of those two areas of symptoms that Dr. Lowe described earlier related to autism spectrum disorder. And as a side note, I feel like for some reason I was calling them buckets of <laughs> symptoms um, last session. And I was curious, Dr. Lowe, if there's another term in terms of what we consider those two areas. So I think you could uh, definitely call it buckets, Dr. Fran, but maybe another name for it could be domains or domain areas. That makes sense. That does sound a little bit more yeah. official. So so when we're thinking of these, you know, whether you're going with Dr. Fran or Dr. Lowe, the buckets and domains, we can kind of take a look at the potential difficulties with social communication or social interaction. So really kind of honing in on that domain. Um, and I think we'll talk about this in depth, but I'm curious, Dr. Lowe, what are some examples or things that really stuck out to you or struck you um, where we saw Sam kind of having these challenges with social communications or like within his social interactions? So it was actually really interesting for me to rewatch. Uh, I ended up actually watching all three seasons again, but I did focus mostly on <laughs> season one for preparation for you all. But um, it was really interesting for me to watch this over again with the thought of coming on this podcast um, to really be able mm -hmm. to pick out some of those things. And again, I think what you all were saying is actually what I really enjoy about this is um, the way that Sam often gives a description of a lot of the challenges that he faces in, um, especially with some of the social uh, communication and social interaction challenges that he faces. He gives a good overview, I think, of sort of what his experiences are. Um, and then also some of the sensory things as well, sort of that second bucket, that second domain. Um, he mm -hmm. does kind of go into that a little bit. Um, there are a few scenes where I think um, it's kind of portrayed visually very nicely. Um, I know that's probably harder to convey over a podcast, but um, that and then I'll <laughs> give a plug to watch the show so you can experience some of those kind of sensory things. Um, but in terms of the social relationships, you know, I think 
he has difficulties with, you know, communication, pragmatic language, nonverbal. He's very literal. Um, I know that there's, um, you know, a few times in some of these conversations where he's not really picking up on what the other person is saying. He's not understanding um, what they're saying. I think that you are completely right, Dr. Lowe. Uh, We noticed that as well. His difficulties with the nonverbal language, taking things very literal, having some trouble in communicating with others. You also mentioned difficulties or challenges with pragmatic language. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit more about what that means? Because I don't know if that's something that all of the Freudian scriptors are familiar with. Yes. So, Pragmatic language is honestly just like a fancy way that we feel like a jargony fancy way that we (laughs) say just that social communication, that reciprocity, um, those sort of, you know, just the, the social nuances of communication. Thanks. That's very helpful. Um, I think one of the things that we really see with uh, Sam as well early on is he has this very, uh, he's very interested, which can be typical for an adolescent of his age. He's very interested in dating. Um, and so he mentions that early on to his therapist. And I remember the therapist says like, well, you have to put yourself out there. You just have to put yourself out there. And uh, Sam makes the comment like, out where? So, you know, kind of those nuances in using um, kind of colloquial speech or little sayings where he takes it very literal and might not mean what she's meaning like you know put yourself out there not literally going anywhere or putting your body out somewhere but being vulnerable and open <laughs> I think that's what I love so much about the scripting of this show is that it it's funny and it's it's funny because you're having Sam through his lens basically point out how ridiculous the English language is in all the like weird phrasing and the nuances and the things that we say. And like, of course, it makes sense that he asked that question, because if you're interpreting it completely literally, it makes no sense. Um, So I really appreciate that about the show. And I, you know, I'm curious, Dr. Love, like, from my perspective, it, it does seem like that is pretty accurate in terms of interpreting things in a very concrete, literal manner, even if someone is using maybe like a metaphor or an analogy that that might not translate. Absolutely. I think that's definitely something that Sam's portrayal of autism in his character is pretty accurate about in terms of difficulties with like sayings and idioms and sarcasm mm-hmm. jokes. Oftentimes, um, you know, those are harder for for an autistic person to be able to sort of interpret those um, and the putting himself out there um, again is one of the kind of like classic lines where he's like putting myself out where like where should I be going um, you know <laughs> yeah. to be to be looking for dating or looking for a girlfriend um, so I think you know sometimes again um, Dr. Sam to your point as a therapist um, sometimes kind of catching yourself and realizing that mm-hmm. um, you really need to say what you mean um, and really to be <laughs> able to you know look at it from uh, Sam's perspective on the way people are speaking with him and sort of the way he's interpreting it I think this show really uh, captures that really well and does it in I think a very um, sensitive very funny way where again uh, Dr. Fran to your point it's pointing more out of where the English language is kind of silly like why do we say things like that you know we we should really yeah. actually say more what we mean yeah that part is really cute and I think they did a nice job with that as well One of the other themes that I noticed that came up is that, you know, Sam will make comments to his therapist and to himself about wishing that he was normal. Sometimes I wish I was normal. Dude, 
Nobody's normal. And feeling like, you know, he he can really get a sense when other kids are, or other peers are making fun of him or being unkind, but he doesn't really often understand why or where that's coming from. And he has a hard time, like, getting a read on that as well. Excuse me, Bailey? I'm the boy whose sister punched you? I noticed yesterday that you were kissing Henry, and today you're kissing Arlo, and I was wondering, how did he woo you? And please, be specific. Dude. What the hell? I'm doing research on how to steal a woman, and Bailey is the perfect test subject because she's a skank. Hey! Uh, So you're doing research on how to steal a woman? Awesome. Arlo, be nice. You trying to get laid, Sam? You gonna tap some ass? (laughs) I don't think so. What does that do? No, no, no. He means pussy, bro. I'm not a fan of cats. (laughs) I mean, I I guess cats are okay. I'm more into birds than felines, and especially, I'll say, flightless birds are cool. What kind of girl are you looking for, Sam? Or do you just want to bang a flightless bird? (laughs) Uh, Of course not. A a, a human, a a human female. That's enough, guys. Um, Is that something that might also be typical or that you have seen, Dr. Lowe, with individuals with autism? Yes, I think that that scene um, where he's being made fun of by some classmates um, and he kind of goes in and says that he knows, you know, people think that he doesn't know when he's being made fun of, but he does know, but he doesn't often know why. People think I don't know when I'm being picked on, but I do. I just don't always know why, which in some ways is worse. Um, And that's oftentimes, again, because of those difficulties in social communication and interaction, he might not know that he did something that was uh, a social faux pas or did something that was awkward or may, again, have been saying something too literally and um, not understanding that that's the reason that he's being made fun of is because um, mm-hmm. there's just a mi- you know a misunderstanding, a miscommunication between Sam and the peers of, you know, they're sort of having this different conversation. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately... Um, in the show, they're sort of egging him on at that scene. And they're really, you know, playing up that he's not understanding the conversation that they're having. Um, And I think that that's definitely something that um, individual autism face. I think that's a very poignant point to make, because, you know, it seems like in that scene, the peers are making fun of him, like you mentioned, Dr. Lowe, because they think they don't, that he doesn't even realize he's being made fun of. But that's actually far from the truth. And, you know, that's why he has this sense of maybe not belonging or feeling different or, you know, quote unquote, wanting to be normal, because he can tell by the way his peers act towards him or when they are making fun of him in this way, like that makes him feel like there is a discrepancy. So he is aware of that and aware of the way they're treating him and which is different, um, but doesn't really understand the source. Um, I think that that relates to one of the things I, I liked the way they portrayed as well was when he describes empathy. And he mentioned like, you know, There's a common misconception that people believe people on the autism spectrum are not empathetic, but that that's actually not the case. He he really understands and feels empathy for others once he understands the emotion, once they're able to express or kind of connect with him that way. But sometimes it's like he's not able to realize how they're feeling to be able to empathize. And so like that's more where the disconnect was. And I thought that that was an interesting point as well. People think autistic people don't have empathy, but that's not true. Sometimes I can't tell if someone's upset, but once I know, I feel lots of empathy. Maybe even more than neurotypicals. 
Yeah, and I appreciate in general that they are highlighting through Sam's portrayal some of the nuances that it's not because just because someone has autism spectrum disorder, they don't have empathy or they don't understand any social interaction or communication. And what I particularly appreciate is then that emphasis on dating. I think there is that misconception that individuals and even Sam um, or maybe his parents have those misconceptions or myths about, you know, people on the autism spectrum don't date or they can't date or they can't form romantic attachments. And that's just not true. First of all, there was a study done in Toronto a few years ago. Researchers found that only 9% of adults with autism are married. Not because they lack the desire, but because they don't know how to do it. Your son has the same desire to be loved that we all do. Why shouldn't he pursue it? And then I think we see through the portrayal in the show that someone on the autism spectrum can definitely form meaningful um, romantic attachments. Maybe it didn't turn out well because it was his therapist, but other than that. (laughs) I think that's one of the main differences we see between atypical and Rain Man. And Dr. Lowe, you spoke to this, you know, kind of ends of the spectrum. In Rain Man, there's this perception that Raymond is not very interested uh, potentially in social interaction and kind of forming certain um, relationships with others. Whereas with Sam, we we see a very high interest. He's trying to connect. He wants to date. He wants to put himself out there, um, you know, and so that, you know, but it's more the difficulty in connecting and understanding people in that way. Um, and dating is a large kind of theme for Sam, for the therapist, for the family. Everyone kind of has their own um, ideas related to when and if and how Sam should date. I wonder, Dr. Lowe, in your experiences um, working with people on the autism spectrum and their experiences with dating, how would you kind of compare that to the way uh, Sam's character portrays dating with autism? So I think, again, that um, the show does a really nice job of exactly what you all were just saying of kind of going against that misconception that individuals with autism do not want to form, you know, friendships or do not want to form relationships, um, romantic relationships, dating, things like that, um, that they really do want to. And it is more of a skills deficit oftentimes. And so um, you do kind of get, I think, um, you know, again, the therapist gives, I think, a lot of helpful things about dating and that he also gets a lot of um, maybe not so great dating advice from his best friend, Zahid. Um, But, you know, kind of learning those things and, you know, (laughs) Sam's walking around with his notebook and kind of writing down the rules and, you know, things that might Mm -hmm. be, might come a little bit more instinctually or inherently to um, neurotypically developing individuals um, where these things are not as innate in um, autistic individuals, but they can be taught um, and they can be learned. And if there is the desire to do so, I think that they do that atypical does a really nice job of showing that while Sam may lack some of the, you know, uh, base skills that he is able to learn and grow. And I think they show that um, definitely throughout the first season, but even more so if you continue (laughs) with the show through seasons two and three. Yes, Sam is a big fan of research. He takes diligent notes. He, you know, talks to various sources. I think he loves a, he would probably love a good um, psychological history as much as Dr. Fran and I, you know, he'd be very diligent in that regard. Um, But I think you're right. We do see him kind of take the feedback, take the things that he learns and um, apply them in different situations. I wonder, Dr. Lowe, you did a nice job of highlighting a lot of the ways in which 
some of those difficulties with social communication and social interactions um, seem to be accurately portrayed with Sam's character, you know, for some, you know, something that we could potentially see, of course, again, this being a spectrum and uh, there being a lot of individual differences. Were there any examples related to Sam's character, um, you know, in terms of the social interaction or social communication that were not as typical or expected that we might see with someone with autism? So I think of that's you know, a really great question. There's sort of, um, you know, to kind of go back to saying a spectrum of a spectrum, there's also another saying that is in the autism kind of community, um, which is if you've met one person with autism, you've met one yeah. person with mm-hmm. autism. Um, and so I think, you know, in terms of Sam's portrayal, um, there are, you know, a lot of things that really might be fairly expected of somebody with his um, perceived, you know, intellectual level and his perceived, you know, verbal level um, and that his that he has the desire and sort of those social communication things. Um, I think, you know, one thing that I think I noticed that um, might not be might be sort of that Hollywood magic yeah. <laughs> um, is that sometimes Sam learns some of these skills after just one time yeah. of being, um, you know, told the rules of something or, you know, being able to sort of understand maybe where he went wrong um, in a social situation. Um, and I think oftentimes, you know, that's not super typical, um, you know, of any of us, yeah. right? <laughs> if we were, if any of us were going to learn a new skill, um, you would, need repetition. Um, but I think especially for, um, you know, individuals on the spectrum that, uh, oftentimes really needing to sort of learn the same skill over and over again, be taught it in sort of different ways, practice it in different ways, um, is really maybe one area where they use a little bit of Hollywood magic. Mm -hmm. I love that point about, you know, to really build skills and to make progress, how it takes practice. And I think Sam would even have something to say about practice. Whoever first said practice makes perfect was an idiot. Humans can't be perfect because we're not machines, unfortunately. The best thing that you can say about practice is that it makes better. I also think Dr. Lowe started to bring this up a little bit of actually transitioning us a little bit more into that second, what I call bucket, what Dr. Lowe calls symptom domain or domain area um, <laughs> of, you mentioned the term stimming behavior. I'm wondering if you could define what that means for our listeners. Yeah. So actually, um, that's a term Sam used. Um, I think in the diagnostic criteria, we don't really call it stimming, but it would be sort of those repetitive uh, body movements or um, repetitive motor movements. Um, So stimming oftentimes can look like some finger movements or hand flapping, jumping up and down. Um, Sam pulls um, the back of his hair when he becomes nervous um, and could be kind of one of his um, quote-unquote like kind of stimming behaviors. Thank you. I think that's very helpful. You mentioned earlier as well some of the sensory pieces that you found to be very like visually uh, done well in the show. What are some of those things that we see with Sam? So I'm thinking about um, some of the things where um, there's like a lot of lights and a lot of sounds. Um, Definitely... um, one of the ones that I think really sticks out is when he goes um, clothes shopping and Zahid talks him into that leather jacket. Zippers, buckles, 
flaps. I, I hate it. Trust me, leather jackets are chick magnets. Um, and he really wants that whale yeah. <laughs> um, shirt. I love it. It's 100% cotton, which is my favorite percentage of cotton. And it has eight Antarctic whales on it, which is a higher number than I've seen on any other shirt. And um, he, you know, wears that <laughs> because it's 100% cotton, which is his favorite percentage of cotton. Um, and then, you know, Casey <laughs> convinces him to wear the leather jacket. And it's like stiff and it's the buckles kind of clacking against it. And, you know, can in terms of sensory... Um, Individuals with autism um, can be very sensitive to uh, textures of clothing, um, may not like um, tight clothing or may actually prefer tight clothing and don't like loose clothing um, or, you know, the feel of a new jacket, not a worn in jacket could be very different or the sound zippers, things like that. Um, So I think, you know, his portrayal where he just kind of like he can't take it anymore. It's it's like too it's too much with maybe the different feels yeah. and the different sounds and just kind of takes it off and throws it. Um, there's a couple other ones where um, he uses noise canceling headphones um, throughout this season, you know, when things are mm-hmm. possibly too loud or he's in places um, like the hallway, for example, at his school um, is kind of loud and there's a lot of people kind of talking different noises mm-hmm. and he wears his noise canceling headphones, which is actually, you know, a really great adaptive thing for him to be able to do. What's with the headphones? Oh, I just turned on the noise cancellation feature. Need a little protection from the racket. Um, And some of the things I was mentioning earlier um, where they really kind of emphasize, they kind of blur out sort of what's going on around him. And and Sam becomes, you can see, kind of... um, a little dysregulated and seems a little disoriented when he is in these sensory environments that are possibly over, you know, seem overwhelming to him with the amount of sounds and people and lights and things like that, um, that he really needs to, you know, go somewhere, um, where he's sort of able to step back from those sensory things. And I think visually the show, um, does a really Mm -hmm. nice job of being able to, I think, visually display Sam's, uh, discomfort Mm -hmm so that the audience can really sort of get a little bit of a feel of what that might be like for him. Yeah, I really like that you brought that up. And I think especially to your point earlier, it does seem like this is the kind of person who maybe has been in therapy for a long time or has received those extra supports to come up with those more adaptive strategies for handling when those sensory overloads come up for him, like whether it's having the noise canceling headphones, or I think there's a scene where he paces um, when he becomes distressed that he's tried to develop these other ways of managing that. There are still times where we do see it get to be too much. Um, Oftentimes when he's in that like, really overwhelmed emotional state because something has happened with the person that he's wanting that he's romantically interested in or you know kids making fun of him at school and that the time when those become even more overwhelming or overloading for him he's already in emotional distress because of something else going on but from kind of the day to day he seemed to have come up with ways to manage the the sensory sensitivity And we love to always highlight strengths um, on the podcast and so I think what both of you are speaking to really are that Sam, despite the difficulties that he may encounter with social interaction or, you know, the sensory difficulties, um, he has found some really nice, I think as they call it, or he calls them replacement behaviors. So things that kind of help him to cope and manage when he is experiencing something unfamiliar or something distressing. So um, whether it's wearing his headphones or you mentioned like he walks around or, you know, he even kind of starts to talk to his dad at times. Like he he's learning and using skills that are helpful to him, which is great to see. And I think speaks to your point earlier too, Dr. Loeb, like 
you know, skill building and practicing to be able to manage these different pieces. And one of his replacement behaviors is actually reciting the names of the penguins. Um, So I think that's a good transition into another part of this domain of his restrictive interest, which is Antarctica and penguins. (laughs) Yes, which I also could totally relate to Sam. I don't know if the listeners know this. I know Dr. Fran does. This will also be new to Dr. Lowe. But I also have a fascination with animal facts and just like animals. And so every time like Sam was talking about like all the different like birds or different animals, I really appreciated those facts and really liked learning those aspects as well. So I can kind of relate to that interest. Maybe as Dr. Lowe mentioned, maybe not to the same intensity as Sam. Um, but what are some of those interests that we see Dr. Lowe and um, how does that kind of fit into these domains that we discussed? So I think that this the show does a really nice job of portraying uh, Sam's interest, and so I, you know, I would think that this is his restricted interest, um, which could be, you know, described as really understanding the intensity and the level at which uh, Sam is very interested Mm -hmm. in these things. Obviously, he's able, you know, throughout the show to talk about other things, but it is one of his favorite things to talk about um, and draw and uh, wear on his clothing. And actually, um, Dr. Brown, you pointed out something that I really like in the show, which is that he has been able to incorporate his interest into a coping strategy. So when he gets stressed out, he recites the four types of Antarctic penguins and it helps him calm down. Um, and in a really sweet moment, I think with his dad, again, I might be conflating season, so I apologize, but he teaches his dad to, um, that, that that's one of his coping strategies and, and that his mom taught him to do that when he was younger. And so he they, he then teaches his dad the four types of penguins when his dad is feeling overwhelmed to try to calm down, um, which I think is a really sweet um, moment, kind of like, again, bringing in that, you know, the whole family type thing, like his mom, you know, used um, his interest in adaptive ways. And so I think that that's really important. Um, Oftentimes that it's really great when individuals um, on the spectrum are able to use their interest um, adaptively. I think you're right, Dr. Lowe. And he also teaches his girlfriend in season one page to also recite the penguins when she's distressed about something and she starts doing it as well and even says like, you're right, like that does help. (laughs) When I'm stressed out, I like to recite the four prominent subspecies of Antarctic penguin, Adelie, Chinstrap, Emperor, Gen 2. Adelie, Chinstrap, Emperor, Gen 2. Okay, that works a little bit. Um, So, you know, he's able to incorporate these skills that he's learned from his family, teach them to his family, and teach them to friends, which I think is um, another really great strength of Sam's. So thinking about the coping strategies and all these adaptive skills that Sam has learned is a good transition to thinking about the therapy portrayal. And there's so much therapy content in this show compared to all the other shows that we've done on the podcast where we're just (laughs) scraping for like one scene that talks about therapy. Um, So I think there's a lot of rich material here to talk through. Um, Before Mm -hmm. kind of diving into that, we were wondering, Dr. Lowe, if you could give us a brief overview of what therapy, individual therapy for someone on the spectrum might look like? Absolutely. So again, um, it would look very different, uh, potentially depending on, you know, the person, um, their autism symptoms, their language and, and speech uh, levels and abilities. Um, but for someone like Sam, um, I think 
I know that we're going to talk about maybe some uh, not so great aspects of his therapy, but Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of, you know, the fact that he's receiving, you know, one-on-one individual therapy, Mm -hmm. um, they don't say necessarily that it's coming from like a cognitive behavioral perspective, but it probably is with his perceived IQ level and, and speech, he's able to do what we might think of as adapted cognitive behavioral therapy because um, Sam is very concrete and very literal. Um, It might be modified. Sometimes more maybe traditional um, individual therapy might have a little bit more um, open-ended questions. Um, Mm -hmm. When working with individuals on the spectrum, oftentimes it is a little bit more concrete. It's a little bit more direct um, where might do more things like, hey, here are some of the social rules. Here are some of the things that you need to follow. Um, mm-hmm. And also visuals. Um, you know, we think of maybe using visuals with um, children, but oftentimes, um, you know, it's it can be really helpful to have uh, visuals with with an individual like Sam, where they're able to kind of picture it and see it and maybe give, you know, handouts, things to look back and things to look back on and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, again, totally depending on the individual. Um, but in, in Sam's case, I think, again, you know, he benefited a lot from, I think, working on his social skills. And so they were doing that in an in individual format where his therapist was um, helping him perspective take, which is something that often, you know, autistic individuals sometimes have difficulties with understanding Um, something from the other person's perspective, Mm -hmm. like kind of walking in their shoes. Um, And so I think that she helps him do that. I also know there's a few scenes where his family members sort of help him um, to understand the perspective of another person as well. I really like the one scene you were referring to where the therapist helps him out with some kind of social interaction when there is a person that was potentially interested in him at work. Let's actually listen to that clip of Sam and his therapist working through that. So, how's your week? Well, I still don't have a date, and I scared a girl off from across the room, and we had meatloaf twice, and I hate meatloaf. How? My mom just made it in the oven. I mean, how did you scare her away? I don't know. I've been wondering and wondering and wondering and wondering. Okay. Uh, Pretend I'm her. What'd you do? I just smiled at her like this. Huh. I, I, I read about it online. Making eye contact and smiling are step one for flirting. That's what I did. The problem is you're crossing the line from flirty to creepy. Now, when you make eye contact, you have to look away a little bit. How, how can I make eye contact and look away? I'm, a, I'm not a mantis shrimp. <laughs> Okay, Um, you make eye contact, glance away, make eye contact again. Otherwise, it can seem scary. Uh, Hold on, let me write this down. Okay. Now, the smile. You need to turn that down, like, 70%. 70% smaller? At least. Try no teeth? Yeah, that's the one. That's perfect. And I know we consulted a little bit on this clip af- uh, before recording, but Dr. Lowe, we had kind of talked about how this one seems to be pretty accurate of what you might do in individual therapy in terms of trying to work with someone on those very concrete social skills. Does that sound right? Absolutely. So I think that this scene is great um, <laughs> where, 
you know, the, the therapist has him actually show her what his smile was. And then she gives him, you know, some very specific things where, um, you know, at first he doesn't really understand how he's supposed to look at somebody and look away at the same time, yeah. um, which again is sort of like one of those things where that might come very natural to someone, but being able to break it down and really explain it. I think that Julia, his therapist does a really nice job of sort of explaining, um, the difference between, you know, appropriate eye contact or eye contact that is meant to be flirty and eye contact that is creepy or, you know, a full on smile at, you know, a stranger could come across um, as awkward or creepy. And so kind of teaches him like what maybe a little bit of a sly or shy smile might look like. Um, And really, I think, you know, going through it specifically and giving, you know, that very specific feedback, um, is a great way to teach some of those, um, you know, really nuanced nonverbal social cues that uh, Sam is not picking up on. I appreciated how Sam compared the difficulties with eye contact, like making eye contact and looking away to a mantis shrimp. I am also a fan of the mantis shrimp and we don't have time (laughs) to get into that. So if you're interested, I would just say YouTube mantis shrimp and you will thank me. (laughs) Um, I also like, you know, he takes things very literal, as we talked about. And so some of the other skills he works on, like when he was trying to determine whether or not he should date Paige, he makes a pro and con list. Um, And so there are definitely other strategies that he learns from therapy from Julia that he tries to implement and practice. So we can see that there are some effective, some positive things that he's learning in therapy. They seem to have a really... um, positive relationship you know at times um sam's mom even makes comments about how she's too reliant on him because he's always saying like well julia says i should do this or that and mom kind of worries about that um but maybe shifting to some of the less positive aspects or portrayal of therapy and atypical (laughs) dr fran any thoughts about some of those examples i will say there's a lot of boundary crossing so we'll get to that in a second i will say there are two (laughs) things that i like that julia does with the whole family context. One that she does really incorporate mm-hmm. the parents in as much as she can into treatment. It's I would say it seems a little bit less typical that she would be doing that like at a coffee shop or, you know, outside yes. of her office <laughs> setting, but having, you know, Sam's parents maybe come into sessions, like that would be pretty consistent with especially a teenager on mm-hmm. the spectrum that regardless of whether they're on the spectrum or not integrate, integrating in parents into treatment can be really helpful. She does also at one point recommend individual therapy to his dad, to Doug, um, mm-hmm. basically saying, because I don't want the relationship to get confused of like, I'm not your individual therapist. I'm Sam's individual therapist. And that I did appreciate of her mm-hmm. trying to set those boundaries in place. However, there's a lot of other boundaries <laughs> that get crossed, in my opinion, in this show. I agree with that, Dr. Fran. You know, um, I think you're right in having to take into account that Sam is also 18. So I don't know if there are any other like agreements that he has with his parents in terms of, um, you know, uh, guardianship or anything of that nature. It does seem like he is consenting and doing his own treatment because she has some hesitancy, the therapist, in talking to the parents full on without him being there, right? Um, So he's 18 and he's an adult. But I think we don't know what permissions, if any, he has given her to talk to the parents. So I did always find that... If he hasn't given her any permissions to talk to his parents, then she is blatantly violating rules by talking to his parents at all about his treatment. (laughs) Hey, Doug. I don't think I'm breaking any rules here. You've been really helpful to Sam with dating stuff. Exactly. And that was my concern with it because the parents 
the parents always show up when uh, Sam is not there. So like mom just shows up to the office and is trying to kind of lead Julia into telling him or rather not telling him about like what he should do in order to date. Right. And it's, we have no idea if Sam is aware of that, if Sam has given permission related to that. Um, So I definitely felt like that was crossing those boundaries as well. Yeah. Now my mind is blown. I was just assuming they had a release of information or some kind of, and now I'm like, (laughs) that's not clear. She could be totally violating his privacy by, uh, and break, breaking confidentiality by talking to his parents. That's a very good point. I have a <laughs> lot. I have a lot more feelings about Julia now. <laughs> um, and you know, in terms of boundaries, there are those boundaries talking to the parents. We also see that she kind of, and we. I think Dr. Fran and I have talked about this in the past. Disclosure, which is something that therapists can use to like relate uh, to the person that they're working with, or to normalize things that someone is experiencing, or empathize with something. Um, we see Julia use some disclosure as well. I'm curious, you know, either Dr. Fran or Dr. Lowe, your impressions on her use of disclosure and whether it seems appropriate or maybe not so appropriate, given that we know Sam starts to develop romantic feelings for Julia. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and uh, maybe take a stab at fielding Dr. Sam's question um, in terms of the disclosure. Um <laughs> It definitely seems that, again, maybe for Hollywood portrayal, that uh, Julia is over-disclosing about her personal life, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving specifics um, about her relationship and uh, with her boyfriend and, um, you know, more de- more details about her personal life than uh, might be clinically relevant or necessary. Um, I will say, though, uh, you know, in terms of, giving uh, sort of like real life examples of social skills and things like that, you know, there may have been more appropriate ways for Julia to Mm -hmm. um, use, you know, her personal life, maybe fictionally, um, or, you know, in less detail to, you know, illustrate some of the points that she's trying to make for Sam. Um, Oftentimes, again, um, hypotheticals can be kind of difficult um, to understand or to think about. um, And so more concrete examples that actually didn't give away a lot of personal information. Yeah, she doesn't, it's not explicit that she shares this with Sam or his family, but somehow they know her exact address and her exact age, which is very disturbing Mm -hmm. to me for a lot of reasons. I I agree with both of you. I think a little bit of maybe oversharing or utilizing that disclosure aspect in a way that is not necessarily beneficial for Sam, right? It's like if we're sharing links with Sam, we want it to be helpful um, for him. And unfortunately, at the end of season one, you know, Sam has developed feelings for Julia. And when he expresses this to her again, in another instance of boundary crossing and um, just poor judgment all around, she kind of explodes at him, becomes very angry, kind of shames him, yells at him. Are you asking me if I want to start a romantic relationship with my teenage patient? Yes, exactly. Okay, fine. Say I agree to be your girlfriend. Then what? We start dating, have sex, I'd lose my job for sleeping with a patient, so I won't have any money to pay my bills or my rent, and I have $200,000 in student loans. Do you have an extra $200,000 lying around? No, uh, I, I don't know. You're, you're talking really fast. Because I'm upset. What you did is very inappropriate. I mean, you really have no sense of that after all the work we put in? So, you don't love me? No. Oh my god, no. 
No! Um, which leads to Sam running away uh, and, and experiencing a lot of distress. And then ultimately, the season ends with him looking for a new individual therapist, which, you know, for anyone can be difficult and uncomfortable. Um, and it seems like Sam in particular, with some of the challenges that he may experience having that loss and then having to start anew, uh, could could definitely be uh, a difficult situation for him. Yeah, and just one other boundary crossing aspect to highlight of the scene where they're da- where she's teaching him how to slow dance in a parking lot. Okay, put your arms down. Now bend them to a 120 degree angle, and then you just kind of scooch in. Um, oh, like yeah. there's just so many things. Like I can I can totally see that there might be a situation where you're working with a client with autism who maybe is wanting to learn how to dance, and like maybe there's a way where you can practice that in a social skills group or with your individual therapist. Doing any kind of therapeutic intervention in the parking lot where you just happen to run into your client, I don't see how that would ever be appropriate. So that was just a big no-no for me. Yeah, especially with physical touch. And kind of interestingly, in Rain Man, there was also a scene where Raymond wanted to learn how to dance. So kind of a interesting like apparently, tie in there. Apparently <laughs> Hollywood thinks people with autism don't know how to dance. So Yeah, or really want to learn how to dance, <laughs> or both. <laughs> There are so many more ways that that could have been handled, that she could have taught him to dance appropriately. I mentioned a little bit earlier visuals. Um, So showing Sam clips of people dancing um, at different lengths would have been maybe a great way that they could have talked about dancing. Um, You know, watching watching movies or YouTube clips um, from people at a high school dance. Agreed. So for that reason, and then the kind of conflict that we see at the end, um, like we mentioned, Sam is searching for a new individual therapist. Um, It is our understanding as well, Dr. Lowe, that oftentimes um, there can be group therapy uh, that can be a helpful and common form of treatment for people on the spectrum. So what would group therapy look like or really focus on uh, for these individuals? That's a great question, Dr. Sam. Group therapy can kind of take several different forms. Um, I know that we're focusing on season one, but I know that we're going to squeak in a little bit Mm -hmm. of a season two clip. So oftentimes these groups might be skills focused. They're like social skills groups, um, life skills groups, and um, but it could also be a little bit more informal. Um, again, in a different season, um, they have more of like a not a social skills group where they're teaching skills, but a more of a social group where they're playing board games together, or video games together, and it's a little bit more of a fun or a sub, more of a support group. Um, so it can kind of take several different forms. Um, but I think Sam's group in season two um, ends up being a little bit more of a combination of kind of a support group and also a skills group. So Lily, you said you had something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I always go to the same dentist, Dr. Ruth Swan. But last time my mom said I couldn't go to her anymore. Why not? Because she retired. Oh, so what are you going to do? I'll let all my teeth fall out. <laughs> That's pretty dumb. Hey, Sam, we try not to judge in this group. Yeah, Sam, we don't judge in here. Okay, Amber, try not to judge Sam's. 
judging. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And part of, I think, the other reason we wanted to draw attention to the support group that comes up in season two, even though we're focusing primarily on season one, is because there are many, I think the majority, if not all of the actors, other than the actor who plays Sam, that are portrayed in that group therapy sessions have autism. Um, And so we've talked a lot about, especially in the uh, context of Rain Man, of media representation and being able to uh, represent uh, people on the spectrum by having them play characters with autism um, and how important that is. And so I just thought that was just really important to note and kind of highlight of not only is it an accurate portrayal of what group therapy might look like, but it's particularly accurate potentially because it's being um, portrayed by individuals on the autism spectrum. I think that's an important point, Dr. Fran. And um, I think at the end, briefly, we might discuss a little bit just overall like representation and any potential um, conflicts that arose with, you know, the portrayal of atypical. Um, but I think that you're right. Like season two definitely shows a little bit more of the group therapy, which seems to be an important aspect of treatment. And it's great to see um, the appropriate representation within that context as well. So as we wrap up our discussion of the therapy context, uh, individual and group, we also want to just spend a few minutes just chatting briefly about the sibling and family dynamics. I think this is another thing that the show does incredibly well of not focusing only on Sam and the difficulties and challenges and strengths that he has, but also really expanding out to that entire family context. And you really develop an emotional connection, I think, with all of the different members of the household, positive or negative emotional connection to some of the characters, maybe. (laughs) I will second that, Dr. Fran. Um, One of my favorite things about this show is that it really is about Sam's whole world, right? His family, um, his best friend, uh, his therapist, um, and eventually his girlfriend Paige um, kind of comes into the fold as well. And there are a few other, um, you know, minor characters, throughout. Um, And then again, just to give another shout out to uh, the group in season two that, uh, you know, Sam becomes a part of and and starts to develop some friendships and relationships with other uh, other young adults his age um, who have autism as well. And so um, I'm really excited to get into uh, the family aspect, the portrayal of kind of the parents and his sister, Casey, um, which is a particular interest of mine is working with families. Yes. (laughs) And I agree. I think this show really does try to highlight, you know, uh, it's about Sam, but it's also a lot about his family and kind of all of their relationships together. Uh, Dr. Fran, you mentioned there are some positive (laughs) feelings about some of these characters, some negative feelings. I think starting off with some strengths, I think Dr. Lowe, you touched on this earlier. It does appear like the family has really sought um, and utilized resources well, right? So he's in individual therapy. There's a scene when the parents are kind of going through his childhood items where they find um, cards with various emotions and other um, tools and things they use to help Sam build skills to kind of gift that to another family who has a younger child uh, recently diagnosed with autism. So it does seem like they really are able to take advantage of and have access to a lot of supports and resources that they use. Um, we see that both parents and sister at times are providing like positive emotional support. So talking to him and, you know, trying to assist him with like talking about his feelings or giving him some tips about like dating or whatever it is that he's experiencing. And we see that they also help him when they notice he's distressed. So that scene we talked about on the on the bus after things 
go really poorly with Julia when he becomes very distressed. Parents show up and they kind of help him to remember his coping skills and help to soothe him. So we we do see that there are strengths and some positive ways in which the parents kind of support um, and Casey kind of support and uh, assist Sam. Um, Dr. Lowe, what are, what are your thoughts about like some of the positive aspects that you see with the family and Casey um, and Sam? I definitely think that, again, you know, there's some drama maybe for the Hollywood aspect of the show for sure. But I think, you know, it does a really nice job of showing, um, I think a little bit of the roles of every member of the family um, that it's, it's pretty, you know, clear that the, that Elsa, um, Sam's mom is very integrated Mm -hmm. into the parent community. Um, she attends a support group. She is finding resources for families. Um, she started an autism walk. Um, they briefly mentioned that and, um, dad, Doug has kind of hung back a little bit. He doesn't know, he didn't know as much like how to connect with Sam when he was younger. And now, um, almost somewhat through Sam's interest in dating, asking his dad for, you know, advice and his dad becomes kind of a little bit more of his go-to person, um, which his mom Elsa struggles with and, maybe um, deals with in some not so great uh, ways mm-hmm. that are maybe played up a little bit for the, uh, for the show mm-hmm. and the dramatic effect. Um, <laughs> the sister Casey is one of my favorite mm-hmm. characters in the show. She is two years younger than Sam, but she is seen very much, I think, as herself and by Sam as sort of Sam's protector. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there's a scene, you know, before Casey and Evan start dating where, you know, um, she's, she's talking to Evan and his sister out on the porch and Sam runs out um, and says a word that's been stuck in his head. Mm -hmm. And uh, Evan says, gee, is like, what's wrong with you? And you can visually watch Casey steps between Evan and Sam and is like, nothing's wrong with him. Like, He's fine. Go away. Thanks for the cake. Thank you for today. Why? Sam. Jesus. Um, hello. What the hell is wrong with him? Hey, nothing's wrong with him. Get away from him. It's cool. I got it. All right, bye. Um, and then Sam, you know, later is like, you know, Casey doesn't let anyone pick on me or beat me up but her. <laughs> um, and so you can kind of see that, you know, even though she is his younger sister, you know, she's really taken on, um, a role of helping Sam navigate some of these social challenges and also sticking up for him when other people are, you know, maybe pointing out not so kindly that he has, you know, done something that maybe was socially inappropriate. Yeah. I think those are all good points. Casey is also one of my favorite characters, maybe on any show ever. I really like her character a lot. Um, and I think that point of the protective role that she overtakes is really important. And then what we also see is the theme of her sometimes feeling like maybe her parents don't see her as much or they pay more attention to Sam. There's the scene where she, you know, breaks the school record in track and her parents miss it because mom dropped her phone and dad is trying to help Sam who accidentally pulled a girl's ponytail. Um, And so she kind of feels like she's missing out or maybe that her parents aren't really paying as much attention to her. And I don't think that's something that's specific to autism, right? That might be something that we see of siblings with uh, of individuals on the spectrum. And we might also see that with, um, you know, siblings of people with chronic illness or with other diagnoses yeah. that might require more support or more attention. 
The track scene um, that you just described, Dr. Fran, is, again, I think one of my favorite scenes um, that really just shows a lot of different family dynamics um, that are happening in Sam's family. You know, Casey breaks the school record and no one in her family sees it. And she just sort of kind of like shakes it off a little bit. And, um, you know, just like, oh, Sam had a thing. I understand. Um, And so I think, you know, what we know in some of the research from siblings perspective is that um, perceived differences or actual differences in parental attention um, is a is a big thing for siblings of individuals with autism. I think that was really highlighted in the scene as well when she gets the scholarship to the fancy school for track. And, you know, she's really excited. She's come to terms with that. She shares it with her family. And their first thought is, well, you can't do it because who's going to look after Sam? So it's also like, you know, in the sibling perspective that Sam might be, you know, for various reasons, but prioritized, right? Like his needs and wants are being prioritized over Casey's needs or wants. Um, And that seems to be something that she struggles with because as you mentioned, Dr. Fran, she, she loves her brother. She's protective of him. And you know, it can be kind of conflicting um, when the parents are perceiving and treating her in that way. I think the scene that you alluded to where Casey says that she got into the the school and she wants to go and mom's immediate response is, well, you can't, right? You have to take care of Sam. Mm-hmm. I think that also highlights a lot of the anxiety mom feels and a lot of maybe overprotective nature at times that mom has for Sam. And there's a few good clips, I think, that highlight some of that fear, which I'm, I'm guessing can be pretty common um, for parents of kids with autism or even young adults and, and adults with autism. Um, there's this scene very, very early on where she describes her anxiety about every time the phone rings, she's worried something has happened to Sam. Do you know that every time the phone rings, I jump? Every time. I think he's crossed the street again with his eyes closed. Or he had a freak out in a store. Or he's hit a police officer. Every time I the know. phone rings. Dr. Fran, I'm so glad you brought up that scene where um, Elsa's talking about every time the phone rings. Um, I think that that is a really powerful scene. And I think, you know, the portrayal oftentimes of just some of the difficulties that Sam can have in navigating the world really, um, you know, really also kind of takes on and thinks a lot about and it seems to cause her a lot of stress um, and and a little bit of marital strain, right, between her and Doug and the different Mm -hmm. ways that they might be thinking about you know, what Sam can and cannot do and how much to like give him some independence and let him go a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate you brought up that point about independence because I think that's absolutely something that this family would maybe be working towards and what Julia does start to get yes. at a little bit. And that's something that would be really common for a, a, a t- an adult. Well, I keep wanting to call him a teenager, but a young adult like Sam who is, you know, mm-hmm. in his emerging adulthood and who's working on that independence, that's something you would focus on potentially with that age range anyway, but particularly with a kid with autism who has a family like his and a mom and a sister who are very protective or at least been really wanting to make sure that he has those supports and those things in place and that the goal being that maybe over time he can learn to do some of those things on his own and a little bit of foreshadowing I think that plays out really nicely um, of that dynamic and that progression in the later seasons and I think that that's really a common process that occurs in this developmental age range, right? So there's always this struggle between the adolescent young adults increasing in autonomy, and then the parents' willingness and readiness to allow the young adult to engage in such. And so I think we see it play out with this family where um, 
it appears like Sam is ready. He's wanting to start date. He's wanting to start think about things and kind of gain a little bit more of that independence. And there is some hesitance on the side of mom in particular, you know, because of maybe the ways that she has protected him and assisted him in the past. Um, so I feel like that that is a common struggle and could potentially be exacerbated for someone who is on the autism spectrum or for a parent of a child on the autism spectrum and trying to navigate that process. Yeah, so overall, it does sound like we get a pretty diverse range of how different people in the family might react or kind of interact with Sam based on the different challenges and also strengths that he has. Again, like we mentioned, there are a lot of strengths that we see highlighted for Sam's family that we really love that that, that the show picks up on and spends some time focusing on in addition to the challenges that might come um, for a type of family like this. Agreed. And Dr. Fran, I think you did a nice job earlier mentioning the aspect of representation. So as you know, at Freudian Scripts, we are big fans and proponents of accurate representation. So I just want to briefly talk about um, atypicals representation of people on the autism spectrum. So Sam, the actor who plays Sam, is not on the spectrum. And so atypical did receive a lot of criticism, especially for the first season related to um, having neurotypical individual play someone with autism, as well as some questions about how they really went about learning about the experiences of people with autism. There is a saying within the autism community, nothing about us without us. And it seems like uh, people within the autism uh, community were weary of the steps that Atypical took to really be representative and to kind of make sure that people with autism had a platform to express their voices and and ideas and perceptions as well. Um, But we will note that there is one actor in season one, Anthony Hawkes, who plays Sam's friend, who is an individual who identifies as being on the autism spectrum. Um, And as Dr. Fran alluded to in season two, it does seem like Atypical um, made some made some advances in having actors in particular in the group therapy sessions uh, scenes to have actors that are on the autism spectrum as well. We do think it is very important that this kind of trend continues, you know, um, that we see more representation in later seasons and shows. Uh, I think as we talked about briefly in Rain Man, it's great that there is exposure and kind of showing um, representation and showing people with autism on TV and in the movies. However, at this point, we really also want to move beyond exposure and make sure that the the autism community is also correctly uh, represented as well. Yeah, and um, we can link a clip. There was a nice clip about the actors in filming in season two uh, within the group, um, talking about how their voices were taken into account and how, um, you know, cool it was to interact with each other and get to know each other. So we'll link a clip in there, just again, hopefully moving like a step in the right direction for this show and for other shows like it. Yes. And of course, the, you know, I think the criticism is also mixed. There are people that did see aspects of themselves and were able to relate. And this is a TV show, as Dr. Lowe has mentioned, alluding to the Hollywood magic and how things can be played up and exacerbated. So we just want to make sure that people feel like their voices are heard and they're represented in the correct way as well. And I think that that kind of brings us to a good segue into our PH Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you, you going to like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everyone. Thank you. Don't befriend your adult patient's parents. Don't ask your patient's parents to join you for a coffee. Don't discuss therapy content with your patients or their parents in public places like parking lots or coffee shops. 
Don't let your personal life interfere with patient care. Please don't slow dance with your patient in a parking lot or anywhere for that matter. And please don't yell at or shame your patient. All right. So I know we've had a couple of potential leanings as we've discussed, but I really want to hear, Dr. Fran, your overall impressions about Atypical. Well, clearly I don't like this show at all, and I have had no ulterior motives in covering it for today's episode. (laughs) Um, I really like the show. I think it's well done. Um, I think it brings attention to an important topic. I do think, like Dr. Sam just alluded to, there are some a lot more ways that the show can improve in terms of incorporating more voices and more actors and individuals uh, on that autism spectrum in the creation of season four, which is coming out. And if there are other seasons in the future, um, Casey's one of the best characters on TV and yep. I just really like, yep, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and Dr. Lowe, what do you think of atypical? Um, I will echo Dr. Fran's love of this show. Um, I binged again all three seasons, which is probably why you heard me talking a little bit about what happens in all three seasons. Um, I think, again, definitely to Dr. Sam's point, um, I know we focus mostly on season one, but I love his group in season two and the fact that the actors are, um, you know, uh, autistic individuals, uh, young adults who are you know, playing characters, but, um, you know, it includes that representation. Again, I think it does a nice job of, you know, really, again, portraying a character um, who is on the autism spectrum and, you know, of course, using some Hollywood magic and, you know, kind of portraying things in a TV show context, but also does a really nice job of giving some, uh, voice and some representation to the other family members and the other really key players Mm -hmm. in Sam's life. Um, So again, overall, I love this show. Um, I think that, uh, I think that seasons two and three are definitely worth um, a watch and uh, possibly a return to the couch maybe. Um, And (laughs) that this, uh, you know, that this show I think is is really uh, a great way to, you know, have some people get a little bit of a, maybe a little bit more exposure to autism spectrum Mm -hmm. disorder um, while being a really entertaining, enjoyable show. All right, Dr. Sam, as the only one of us that has not watched it twice now, what did you think of Atypical? Yes. (laughs) I was about to say, it was my first go uh, at watching this show. So I did find it enjoyable. It's a quick watch, an easy watch. Like the episodes are short and I think they're just enjoyable. You're kind of curious about what's going to happen with the various characters. I also really enjoyed uh, Casey. I think she's a great character and she was definitely one of the parts that I found to be like most interesting um, along with Sam and his relationships. Um, I agree. I think that it is nice to see another representation, a potential representation of autism spectrum on the TV screen. Um, That being said, I do think that there are steps that could be taken to kind of improve and continue to improve upon representation and show, um, you know, like we talked about, autism is such a spectrum. And I love Dr. Lowe, how you mentioned it's like the spectrum even within a spectrum. And so I think really kind of even showing the diversity within the autistic community um, of, you know, 
women and females or, you know, people of color, you know, other individuals can also be autistic. And so I think kind of moving in that direction is definitely the next place to go. But it was an enjoyable TV show. And I am looking forward to watching the future seasons because I've only seen season one. So we'll see how the rest go. All right. And now it is time for our DSM-5 Diagnosing Shows and Movies. As our visiting expert, Dr. Lowe, we have to know. So we use our DSM-5 to diagnose the show um, on a scale of one, being the least accurate portrayal of the psychological themes that we discussed, and a rating of a five being the most accurate. Where would you rate atypical? Oh, gosh, you guys. This is a really (laughs) great question. Um, And... (laughs) So I think, you know, when you when we started the beginning of the podcast, you said it was really nice that they came out and said, right, like we know from minute one, basically, that Sam is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And again, while we have, you know, tied into that, there are, of course, some, you know, Hollywood stereotypes that they have taken, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the diagnostic criteria and Sam's portrayal and that there definitely needs to be more representation. Um, I think that they do a nice job of hitting those two buckets, as Dr. Fran likes to call mm-hmm. them, the two domain areas, displaying the both the social communication and interaction difficulties that Sam shows and also um, the restricted repetitive behaviors and interests that he displays as well as some of the things that they talk about in his history as well. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this a four. Wow. <laughs> and Dr. Fran? I almost want to give this one two different ratings, one for the autism portrayal <laughs> and one for the therapy portrayal. It is so hard when you have a therapy. Only one. Ah, Only it's one. It's so hard when you have a per- therapy portrayal <laughs> that then negates the like positives, yeah. right? Um, I think I'll have to mm-hmm. go in the middle and say a three if I'm really focusing on like the therapy aspect of it as well. I think the actual therapy content is pretty good. And then you have these huge boundary Mm -hmm. violations and issues that come up. So I would say a three for that reason. Dr. Sam's our harsh raider over here. (laughs) So we'll see if she comes in even lower. No, I won't come in lower. Actually, I was thinking, you know, Dr. Lowe actually swayed me a little bit higher with her description, because I I do agree with that. Like, I think, you know, in terms of those domains that we discussed, and of course, within the spectrum, and this is one potential individual's portrayal of the of, you know, being autistic. And so I think that they did do a nice job of highlighting some of those potential aspects that we would see regarding those domains. I think that they also did a nice job of showing like the family, the family relationships as well. And, you know, one of our things that we're mostly mad about is like this person would probably benefit from treatment, but there never is any. And so in this one, you know, he's actually really connected and is in therapy. I think the therapy content is pretty appropriate, but that the therapeutic relationship kind of obviously veers to the less appropriate range. And so that's why I will go with a three as well. All right. Well, we are so glad you joined us today, Dr. Lowe. We really appreciate it and have really, really enjoyed hearing your perspective. And I know our listeners will really benefit from hearing not just Dr. Sam and I talk all the time, but also your expert opinion as well. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Lowe. It's been such a pleasure having you on and getting to know you and hearing your um, and being able to learn from your expertise. 
Thank you, Dr. Fran and Dr. Sam, for having me. Um, this has been a blast, and I love that uh, you all gave me an opportunity to binge watch this amazing show um, and get an opportunity to uh, talk about an area of psychology that I really love talking about. So thank you so much. Thank you. So that is it for Atypical today. Please remember to check out our social media to see our new Freudian Scripture Spotlight. This month, we featured Dr. Ana Goya Arce, a psychology postdoctoral fellow. So be sure to check out her highlight. And don't forget to check out our website. We'll add some interesting resources and new terms that we learned during today's episode on our webpage. So please check that out and let us know your thoughts generally on Atypical. We'd love to hear the questions you might have for us or for Dr. Lowe. Um, maybe we'll be able to bring her back at some point to share more thoughts on this show or others like it. Um, and love to hear from you on what movies or TV shows you would like us to put on our couch next. And relatedly, please join us next session for a special Freudian Scripter listener question and answer session to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Freudian Scripts. That's right. We have been putting shows and movies on the couch for the past year, so we're really excited to celebrate. And please send us questions via social media or our website um, or any feedback, like maybe you went back and watched the Goodwill Hunting episode and you have a question about something we said, um, or there's a different TV show or movie that you're curious about. So send us those questions and we'll be sure to cover them on the next session. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review so you can be up to date on all of the awesome, exciting things that we are doing on the podcast and in promotions. There are still some stickers available. So if you write us a review, take a snapshot of it, send it to us, you'll get a free sticker in the mail. I think Dr. Lowe earned a sticker today too. Yes. <laughs> Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. Your pleasurable TV preferences. Sub that in. Can you take out pleasurable? Your favorite TV shows. There's nothing wrong with pleasurable. This is going to be on the end for sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs>